This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. Today you are going to get a front row seat to the incredible springbok career of Franku Smith. Franku, welcome to Front Row Rugby. Thank you very much, looking forward to it. Now before we begin our conversation, let's take a look at this week's trivia question. In 1997, the Springboks lost the second test to the British and Irish Lions 18-15. How many of South Africa's points came from the boot? Now, if you know the answer to the question, you can put it in the comment section down below. We'll also find out if Franku knows the answer, but we'll do that at the end of our conversation. Franku, I'd like to start, funny enough, in 1997, when you made your Springbok test debut against Scotland. Did Nick Mallet talk to you in the week leading up and indicate that you were going to get a chance? Oh, look, uh, Nick was um, obviously excited. I was my second tour with him in the first tour in 96. He was the dirt tracker head coach, if I can put it in that way. So we got already had a good relation, played a couple of rounds of golf before together. And obviously leading into that game, um, there was an injury to Henry Hannibal. I came on the bench with Danny De Beer starting. So uh, he did mention, obviously, this is going to be a chance. I don't think he intended me to play as long as I did. Obviously, Yanni got injured just before halftime and this, the swap was made at halftime. So, um, yeah, I've had after that various conversations before I went on, yes, with them, but uh, that specific day uh, of that week, I think uh, Rob van der Falk was the manager and I think he already backed me a little bit to, to have a go and um, and and because I've obviously during the tour, I was quite in good form and uh, that allowed me then, you know, a little bit of freedom to just go and express myself. The fortune also was that the scoreline was was reasonably um, well set at that stage. So um, good to just go out there and express myself, which helped. And how special was it to be involved in such an historic victory? Oh, fantastic. I mean, later in my career, and if I look back at the try that I've scored, it was, um, it was fantastic. I think uh, James Small scored his uh, record-breaking try as well. And of a... Uh, and I had a bit of a hand in that. It was fantastic. I, uh, uh, it, it was just the, the, the legends of those uh, of that game, you know, to be able to be out there on the field. Um, you know, there was there was so so many guys that then kicked on and played in that seventeen test that was unbeaten. So just to be a, to have been a part from that or with that with him in that uh, specific game was was absolutely something I'll, I'll cherish forever. As you mentioned, you'd actually been part of the Springbok squad since 1996 on that end of year tour. How frustrating was it that you had to wait a year before getting your first test cap? No, I didn't see it as frustration. I more saw that as motivation, you know, and later on, motivation always developed into determination. So a very good opportunity for me to, to, to um, you know, learn and, and understand that I'm suddenly you know, rated in South African rugby to be able to play at that level. So I saw that as motivation above all and uh, not really as frustration and then thankful that it eventually happened. The Springboks had actually had quite a difficult 1997, losing to the British and Irish Lions. There were some heavy defeats in the Tri-Nations as well. But things turned around beautifully on that end-of-year tour with some memorable victories. How enjoyable was the atmosphere on that tour? Yeah, definitely. I can definitely recall the, the game at Parc de France against, in, against France. It was a very special victory, I think, on the week. That, and, and I just felt... Uh, you know, that was a big build of a big start. I must, you know, just break a, lo- uh, a bit of a lance for um, for uh, Carl Duplessis and Gert, who was involved with the last test match of the... I was involved also that week um, when we played Australia at home in the last Tri-Nations match. And 
was meant to be on the bench and just at the last moment on the day of the game got swapped out for Bram Elsa for a 5-2 split back then. So uh, just missed out there. But we also that evening, I think we also scored around 60 points. A very good game. And that actually led into, you know, in that tour and that set uh, that the start of the Nick Mallet era up um, with some very talented players um, and with his uh, Nick's mindset of allowing us to express ourselves out in the field that obviously you know in the on that tour settled basically the nerves and that also gave us an opportunity to you know to, to really express ourselves when we're out in the field and then you made your first start for the Springboks the following year against Ireland. I've had a couple of ex-Springboks on the show who have told me that they felt that they were only really Springboks once they actually started a test match for their country. What would you say? Yeah, I agree. I think uh, you've been officially accepted in, in Springbok rugby, but by the public and by the team if you had a start. Uh, it's obviously the fe- was obviously the feeling back then. I don't know if it's still like that, but I agree. Uh, having your first start really uh, yeah, was your initiation into the real uh, world of a Springbok player. So yes, obviously it was very fantastic to make a debut off the bench. Um, fantastic to be a part even the year before, but you really get accepted into the environment once you've had a start. And uh, I think that day specifically was, uh, was a very hard-fought battle at Loftus. So um, uh, that was really good to be a part of that. And let's talk about that Wales Test match, the one in which we annihilated them 96-13. What is it like playing in a match when you're beating an opponent so easily? Yeah, look, it's a, it's amazing that you end up throwing a skip pass and it works. You know, I, I've got a, also my coaching career now, a big conversation around what is confidence, you know, and I think confidence is, is from my perspective, the respect the opposition gives you, um, which allows you more time on the ball which allows you to make better decisions and the execution of the passing and and your lineouts, everything just functioned better. And I think that's how confidence grows. So the fact that we created, we got a bit of an aura after the, you know, the the good tour in, in 90, 90, end of 97, uh, the lead up uh, into the, uh, by beating Ireland and then go into the Wales, Wales game. Um, and obviously that helped a lot for the respect they had for us. Um, and uh, with that, the respect that they had for us and the fact that we played at Loftus and the fact that we had a bit of an aura, they gave us a lot of respect. I think the execution, our execution, we were positive and excited to play a brand. And the more time we had on the ball, the better decisions we made. And that was obviously what led to the, the high scoring game. And then for the Tri-Nations, you moved back onto the bench but came off uh, to play at inside centre. How special was it beating New Zealand in New Zealand? Oh, that's obviously fantastic. I got injured uh, last action of the game against Wales, pulled my hamstring literally the last time. Tried to get back and ready. I was picked for the England test the week after. Then um, obviously, you know, I had to withdraw on the Wednesday. And then my next chance only came in the... In the, in the Tri-Nations and then to go down to to um, Athletic Park and in Wellington and win beat the All Blacks there was was fantastic I mean they Nick actually had a word for me before I went on in Andre Sneijman's place and uh, it was all about not missing a tackle John Loma was uh, was at that stage running a riot and uh, I remember they've had uh, uh, Frank Bunce in the oh, sorry um, Walter Little in the inside centre and, and, and they and a young Carlos Spencer just played in Merton's place at that stage. So they were actually carrying the ball hard, playing in the right uh, zones of the field with the ball in hand. And 
And I think that was the message, you know, I, I should make my tackles this game and at halftime. So, but then, you know, to end up um, you know, winning there was, was absolutely fantastic. I mean, uh, it, it will always be some of the big memories um, for me. I think it was the 50th test that, 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 that South Africa and New Zealand played each other. So, you know, to be a part of that and to get the, Given a special cap that day was was really uh, was really highlight. And how about that come from behind win against the very same All Blacks in Durban? Yeah, well then we come back to South, uh, to South Africa in Durban. We were down 23-5, uh, 25 minutes left. Myself, Bobby Skinstad, Oli Leroux, I think, and Andrew Aitken. We went on a little bit later, I think. Um, and then yeah, we gave a little bit of got a little bit of wit to the game. Um, Got around them. Uh, so very good try by by US. Just uh, obviously again igniting everything, and then a powerful drive try by James Dalton. And yeah, then obviously it was unbelievable to come from in a test match specifically from that far behind. But that that stage just showed what those players were were about. The character of the team obviously was the was the main thing and the will and want not to lose and to make South Africa proud was obviously the main ingredients in, in that game. The following week, we beat the Wallabies in Johannesburg to seal the title. Describe the feeling of winning the Tri-Nations. You know, I actually went on in the last minute or two minutes. I can't even remember. I didn't touch the ball once, but I was out there. And when the final whistle blew, it was absolutely fantastic to see that 60,000, 70,000 people in, at Ellis Park on their feet cheering us on. And what a big moment at that stage, especially after the previous year. Worst or not good performance against uh, the British and Irish Lions just within a year to pay back uh, to the public um, all their support and uh, just to give something, you know, to establish again the aura around Primo Graco that was necessary. So, yes, and to be a part of that, obviously, I think that everybody that's been on the show before and will be on the show after me um, would obviously you know, uh, will reiterate the the fact that it's an unbelievable uh, sensation standing out in the middle of that field and uh, hearing South Africa cheer on. And then on the end of year two in 1998, we were still winning, but maybe the performances were not as good. And again, I've heard several theories as to why that may be. Some people say it was end of year fatigue. Other people say there was interference from Alan Solomons with regards to Bobby Skinstad. I'd be very interested to hear what your take is. Yeah, I think I can agree a little bit on the fatigue side of things. We um, Obviously, it was the first, I think that year I spent 29 weeks away from home. Um, Shared the room with Karina uh, Otto, so we I lived more with him than I did with my wife that 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 year. So, yeah, that that, that might be the Bulls actually won the Curry Cup that season, and um, I think there was uh, a lot of hype and excitement late into the season, and that might have led to it. Then remember, if you start winning, also the opposition's mindset uh, change when they when they play. We always look at what we need, what we bring to the game, or what we as a team get wrong. But other teams do get it right as well, you know. So uh, I thought the Wembley game specifically, Wales prepared really well for us. They, uh, they, uh, Graham Henry was coaching back then. They were not going to, they've had the most of motivation of having beaten, been beaten with 96 points the previous year. Um, I still feel that they were good that day. I played uh, center that week, uh, that game there, and 
I just thought uh, they were really good, very well prepared for what we were bringing, and they were obviously matching us physically, which was uh, what's the op- what was the opposite of what we've experienced in South Africa. So um, I think that obviously might have felt if we got it wrong from the start, and that led maybe to a little bit of doubt going into the the, the, the Scotland test. I got left out of the, the team for the week after against Scotland, and and obviously Andre Fenter also got left left out. There was some change. Um, in that regard, uh, so yes, um, I think uh, that might have been, a, you know, from my perspective, uh, a combination of things. A little bit of fatigue, a good start by Wales, not necessarily that start by us, a little bit of doubt in the coaching um, realm. And then obviously that might have filtered through to us. And again, um, it was a Grand Slam tour. We haven't lost for so long. So what is the big pressure that always comes off winning too much? is that that fear of losing starts growing. You're not playing to win anymore. You start getting more concerned around not losing. You know, and we were already talking about the Grand Slam. We've signed jerseys with a, and balls with a Grand Slam team. And we haven't beaten uh, England at, at Twickenham yet. So a lot of expectations. So in my coaching profile now as well, I make sure that I we manage from lessons learned out of that tour as one. Give credit where credit's due. If the opposition's prepare for everything, um, obviously, and then make sure that you uh, um, that 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 you don't that the expectation doesn't overwhelm you. I think that is the big thing that maybe built up. You know, some there's a reason these teams after a certain amount of games lose. You know, that's that's otherwise Tiger Woods would have still been number one in the world. The expectation and everything that comes and builds around that does influence influence the players that's out there. Remember, it's individuals that must make decisions with the ball or without them. Do mm-hmm. I pass it? Do I keep it? What is the pressure situation um, of the of the teams uh, that you play against? What do they allow you to do? What not? As much respect maybe as uh, other teams that were giving us at the start of '98, the less respect they gave us towards the end, and I think that that forced us a little bit into, you know, some errors, and that obviously rolled a little bit over into the year after. How disappointed were you to be dropped after that Wales test? Yeah, I was pretty disappointed. I think I had a good season at that stage. I was, like I said, I was about to play uh, a number of tests after the the Ireland and then the Wales and then I was actually picked for the wet test in at Newlands um, got injured that was frustrating uh, then clawed my way back through a good curry cup um, uh, got picked from the start I thought this is the opportunity and then yeah obviously you know I got I got changed over uh, with Christian Stewart he was a little bit um, later in his career already and and at that stage, obviously felt, um, from my perspective, not that I don't, um, you know, I was really happy for Christian in that regard. He got another chance late in his career. But from my perspective, I felt at that moment, you know, if there was a bit of a step backwards, I thought I should have been back maybe for another for another game or two. Uh, if I was going to be the uh, future in that role, we obviously... My strengths were more with the ball in hand. I've got to look to play mindset. I got, got, gave the team a lot of width, um, which is not always the best thing. And the look to play mindset is not always the best thing in test match rugby. It can be depends on how your your teams uh, what what your team's game model is. And I thought uh, I, we were progressing in that regard. Um, 
but uh, then obviously to be left out then um, you know just hampered a little bit uh, I did feel I became a bit of a jack of all trades that the fact that I can play everything but was not master of one specific position which always uh, allowed me to be picked on the bench first but uh, I thought maybe the opportunity there to start more often was then um, out of the door. So Franco, I have to ask you, with you being a coach yourself now these days, when you have a player in your squad who is equally as versatile as what you were as a player, does that make it easier for you to sort of know what to do? Definitely. Um, I've adapted my coaching style to that. I'll work with 6-2 splits um, only. You know, I've 26 of the 27 games that I've coached this season with Glasgow Warriors, I've picked a 6-2 split and it's about hybrid backs, players that can play in different roles. If it's wings that can play fullback or centers that can play fly-off or uh, nines that can play wing, that doesn't matter. I, I prefer that. I think the big battle lies in the front and you need to be able to, um, you know, to manage those players' game time as much as you can. Um, with the idea to inc increase the number of actions and intensity, but uh, therefore you need backs that can play more than one role, so that if you um, you know need get some injuries or there's something unforeseen that's happened that you are covered. So yes, uh, obviously that mindset um, for me is, is is important. Although you do have your specialist players, I still feel to be able to play more than one um, position makes you immiscible to the team and it obviously gives the team the best chance to to maybe in other parts of the game be dominant. How disappointed were you to miss the 1999 Rugby World Cup? Oh, I must say I was, I was shattered uh, in that regard. Obviously being part till the last game, you know, I, I played against the All Blacks and when Andres Neyman, or Andres Neyman and myself started against the All Blacks in at, uh, at Loftus and in 99 in the Tri-Nations, Andre broke his ankle and Flecky actually came on in the outside centre. Um, so I've, I've felt my medial knee ligaments gone before half-time, played the whole second half just to make sure that I gave myself the best chance. Unfortunately, then missed out on in the narrow win against... Uh, against Australia and Cape Town the week after. Um, and then, obviously, I, I was convinced to be part. Um, this is what I understood also from from everybody. And uh, then, yeah, to get left out just before the start was was really disappointing. And I was involved, basically, in all the, in all the Springbok ga uh, games between the two World Cups, but never to have gone to one is between 95 and 99. Um, I was in the setup and in the system. It was disappointing, obviously, and uh, yeah. The, the, but you know, I, I understood the reasons um, back then. Um, I made a wrong call, maybe to leave for Newport straight after that because of disappointment. And and for all the young guys watching this, it's you can don't make. This is the only decision I've ever made in my life on emotion, and I think that's wrong. You must always have. Uh, must let you, you must be late in a different way. So, um, uh, yeah, but I was pretty disappointed. And in terms of philosophy and approach, how would you describe Nick Mallet as a coach? Oh, Nick was a very passionate guy. Um, I must say, I had a bit of Andre Markov, obviously, in the beginning, and then there's a, the couple of weeks with, uh, with, with Carl. Um, and that was the reason I'm mentioning that is that I think Nick was a little bit. Uh, Different from Carl, I thought Carl had a lot of insight and philosophy and a good philosophy. Nick was more passionate and all about um, 
you know, about contributing, getting a number of actions, um, being involved, uh, the, the physically dominating the opposition, and uh, that suited the way I played. This suited the way I, the qualities of as a player that I had. I think Alan Solomon's did add a little bit of braveness to what Nick was coaching in the sense that he allowed the backs to be a little bit more skillful, more passes. He actually, all our drills and the way we warmed up and prepped and skill sets was all about making a pass, which I really enjoyed. So uh, Nick was the hard, tough uh, coach that gave give you that sense of passion and the non-negotiable um, uh, attitude that he had. Uh, I think Soli added a little bit more of the flair around around our game, which I also liked. So, yeah, in that era, both those coaches in that regard was uh, quite influential in the way I see rugby now. Franco, there was definitely a theory at the time that you were being groomed to take over from Henry Honeyball equally able to play at 12 and 10 and with Henry retiring after 99 you would then have been the natural successor I'm interested to hear if that was indeed the case I think it was Andre Markrov's suggestion when he picked me in uh, 96 the idea was for me and a guy like Buta Vessels maybe to we were a little bit more straight running flyers a little bit more physical we, we took the ball to the line a little bit more the alternative rugby was developing in that way uh, at that stage um Henry was leading it in the world rugby, maybe around physicality, number of tackles that he made. You know, always the, the 10 channel was always a, a point of dispute um, because of the, the 10s were usually not the most physical guys uh, of the team selection. And that's where teams always got their way in, in um, through the lack of uh, uh, contact domination. So because we were a little bit more physical in that area and Lem specifically, Henry, he, he specifically set the high standard there. And that obviously is something that I'd like to do. And and and, and then through the East conversation in 96, when he picked me the first time on that tour, it was about us being a little bit more physical in that regard. Instead of taking the three points always, we're going to go to the corners and see if we can't keep the ball in the positions 22 to score tries, more become 7-14-21 teams instead of 3-6-9 teams. And... I think that was obviously that influenced World Rugby at that stage. I think a lot of the teams adapted to have more physical flyers after that because of the reward that they've seen from it. So, what was your favorite position? It depends. Depend, a lot of people have asked me this, and, and I still love to play 12, but I enjoyed playing 10. So, there was no real. Um, it depends on which team and what is the, the, the makeup of the team was. You know, in the Bulls team, I fitted nicely in the. Then at that day, I had Andre Sneeman and Daniel van Skalkwijk on my outside. It was, I could get, get a lot of width on it, and the ball goes through my hands quickly. Where if you have Henry Hannibal or even Yannick De Beer on your inside and you're the 12, you can straight it a little bit and still create a little bit of play one channel wider. So, um, and Dave, in that, in that, in the, in the 10, 12 area, you actually carry the ball a ball, little bit more in contact, which I, which I really liked. You know, it was good to, Get go forward there and just just sometimes just make contact without making the right decision. So, so I really enjoyed playing both. Um, dependent for me, looking back at my career, obviously what the makeup of the team was, and and I, I didn't mind slotting in, in in the various roles then. Who was your toughest opponent? Well, it will be funny enough. I think the biggest collision was Scott Gibbs. I thought uh, when we played uh, Wales at Wembley, it was one of the one of the biggest collisions I've had. Scott Gibbs, but I, I always uh, thought from a from a playing perspective and the type of player, I think Carlos Spencer was one of the players that I felt that uh, 
I'd always ask the question, was he a little bit inaccurate test match time? Yes, definitely. I don't think he was always the best test match option, but he was challenging um, around the park, asking questions and uh, him being a threat, but also all four players in, in a, in a circle around them. So, yeah, definitely in, uh, in that regard, it was good to have played my last game, professional game also against him. So, uh, maybe he stands out in that regard. Is there a particularly funny moment that you can share with us from your time with the Springboks? Yeah, more of, of what goes on tour, stays on tour. Yes, I, I've got a story. I've got a story. Okay. Um, so I think in 1998, we were waiting in the Santon Holiday Inn, I think. We were waiting for the game that was going to be played that evening. Um, so a bunch of us were having coffee around in the foyer um, with us was Peter so as well and uh, a couple of uh, tourists with, were also hanging and mingling around in the foyer so one guy stepped up to Peter and said Peter can he stepped up and he didn't say Peter he said can you take a photo and Peter said yes for sure and he stood up and he went and stand in the photo and the guy said no no can you take the photo so that was actually uh, quite funny. Um, we were quite used to back then being photographed with the public and uh, it's understandable why he got it wrong, but it was actually quite funny that he, he assumed immediately that he was not going to take the picture. And uh, so, yeah, that was, if I can, uh, I think that was a, an excellent, uh, an excellent uh, funny story, if I can put it in that way. I'm not sure if you're allowed to answer this question with you being a coach currently, but is there a current player who you particularly admire? I think currently there's a lot, bunch of young South African um, outside backs and uh, decision makers with the physical ability. I think Chester Williams just opened, oh, Chester Williams, uh, Cheslin Colby just opened uh, the door for all those Cheslin-like players in world rugby at the moment. And uh, uh, I think there's a bunch of them. If they wear a scrum cap and they're under five foot, then you must know they are really dangerous. And as we mentioned, you are coaching these days with the Glasgow Warriors in the URC. And I should say many congratulations, actually, Franco, because you have been named just in the last two days at the time of recording this interview, the URC Coach of the Year. So well done on that. May I ask you, what else are you up to these days? Oh, thank you very much. No, I'm uh, like I said, I'm now heading back uh, to South Africa. And I think by the time that the people will see this, I'll be back in South Africa. Um, Hoping to see, look, have a look at the Junior World Cup, which will be played in Stellenbosch. Um, uh, obviously, I'm always, uh, I've set myself a challenge to learn something new every day. So I'm out there looking for some information, looking for ways to upskill myself, but not just as a rugby person, but also in life. So there's a bunch of challenges that I've put out for myself in South Africa now well, we, until we, we back up. Uh, our preseason will start in the beginning of August. So um, as a bit of a period at home, my family and my daughter and my wife live lives in South Africa most of the year due to the fact that she's got, she's still at school, and uh, will be good to spend a bit of time with them. And uh, hopefully, my other boy will be um, in the South African under twenty squad. Hopefully, that will be good to to catch up with him and. And just, uh, you know, like I said, I'm trying to upskill myself, learn a bit and always take something home with me, uh, even if it's not, to, even, even if, it's to, if it's to learn not to, what not to do. So hopefully um, this will be a, a, a nice learning. We, I didn't 
I have that opportunity lately uh, through through COVID and the fact that I was internationally, I, I worked as an, an international role and as a performance director, didn't have much time. It was a little bit more um, occupied day to day. So this uh, break in the URC is actually setting me nicely up to, you know, to become hopefully better. Okay, Franco, let's finish with the trivia question. In 1997, the Springboks lost the second test to the British and Irish Lions 18-15. How many of South Africa's points came from the boot? Do you know the answer, Franco? I think all of them. Well, then you're really not going to believe this. The answer is, in fact, zero. Not one point came from the boot. Three tries, Andre Hubert, Percy Montgomery, and Joost van der Westhuizen couldn't convert any of the tries. We couldn't kick over a penalty. And that's why we ultimately lost. Oh, fantastic. So, I don't know. I couldn't remember. I wasn't involved. And I think Yanni de Beer was playing. So, that's immediately come to my mind that I thought he maybe kicked, uh, what's it, nine penalties? Was it six penalties? Yeah. Franco, let me say it was lovely having you on Front Row Rugby today. An absolute pleasure. And I hope that we can have you on again in the future. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's been a real privilege. Last time on Front Row Rugby, I had former Tri-Nations champion Brayton Paulser on the show. You can go and watch that video. It's appearing on your screen right now. Next time, I'll have 1995 Rugby World Cup winner Gavin Johnson. This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. If you enjoyed this content, please consider subscribing and sharing with your friends. See you next time.